Money management is not difficult, at least not in theory. Give God the first 10% of your income, save 10%, and then live on the rest. God calls every believer to enter into a relationship of trust in Him. Pay God first and He promises to meet your every need. And He promises to flood you with blessings above and beyond your expectations. God describes it like this. The Lord Almighty says, See if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing there will not be room enough to store it. God calls us to do two things. Have faith and be responsible. We call this good stewardship. We understand that everything that we have has been given to us for a reason. You and I are called to cooperate with God in advancing His kingdom. Your tithe is your part in funding His supernatural work on earth. Good morning, everyone. Good to have you here today on this. I guess the kids are all off of school this week, so good to have you here. Glad that you didn't go to the States. Wish I had. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. I'm glad to see you today. I'm glad you're here with me. Um, I want to continue on in our series on stewardship, and uh, actually it's Prosperity 101 is what we're calling it. And you'll see in a minute why we're calling it Prosperity 101. One of the things we pointed out last week is that God really does want to provide for us and meet our needs. This uh, past week, the 2017 World Happiness Report came out, at least I saw it for the first time. And uh, in this report, they list the world's happiest and the world's saddest countries. And so I want to just show you really quickly who the world's um, happiest people are. The happiest people in the world, first the Norwegians, and then the Danish, and then the Icelandic. In seventh place is Canada, and then the 14th place is the USA. And the report says this. The report says that the USA has become 5% unhappier over the past 10 years, despite the fact that the people in the USA, uh, on average, earn more than almost everybody in the world. And this has really got the experts scratching their head. They're wondering, how can this be? How can people who are so rich... Um, uh, not be in, in, in top place. We're, 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 we've got a lot of countries between first and the 14th place. And uh, here's what they're saying. Uh, John, Dr. John Hollywell has done this study. He said the problem for the U USA is too much focus on money and not enough on relationships. Did you get that? Too much focus on money and not enough focus on relationships. Well, Basically, what, what he's saying is what the Bible's been saying for thousands of years. We know that. We know that life is not about money. It's not about how much income you earn or how much income you have. Life is about relationships. And here's what he says, quote, it's the human things that matter. It's the human things that matter. If riches make it harder to have frequent and trustworthy relationships, is it worth it? Materialism stands in the way of human relationships. So what he's saying, basically, is having more money really worth sacrificing relationships, having fewer relationships. And then we go down to uh, the saddest people in the world. And you'll notice at the top of the list is Central African Republic. I don't know if anybody's ever heard of that. But all of us have heard of Burundi because uh, 
Dennis Prawn introduced us to Burundi. I mean, Dennis Weeb introduced us to Burundi. Sorry about that, Dennis. Sorry about that, Dennis Prawn. The third place is Tanzania, the fourth is Syria, and the fifth is Rwanda. Now, Halliwell says it's no accident that the unhappiest countries in the world are also the poorest people in the world. They go on to say this. They say that having a lot of money does not guarantee happiness. And they say also that being poor uh, will probably make you unhappy. But he says there, there's a certain level. We, we reach a certain level where suddenly having more money will not make things better. Well, the scripture supports this. And here's what the writer of Proverbs says. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Give me just enough to satisfy my needs. For if I grow rich, I may deny you, God, and say, who is the Lord? And if I am too poor, I may steal and thus insult God's holy name. So we recognize then that God... In God's economy, for, for every believer, it's not that we are filthy rich or terribly poor. In fact, if you were in your small group last week, you'll, you'll recognize something that, uh, that we discuss, and, and that is that God is looking for equality within his church, and it's our job as Christians to work towards that. Well, I'll talk about that more in just a moment. But one thing I want you to recognize is that this verse gives us further insight into what real biblical prosperity is. Now, in case you missed it last week, let me just remind you of what prosperity looks like. And we said that the greatest prosperity that humans have ever known was actually when Adam and Eve lived in the Garden of Eden. You recognize that they were as happy as people could ever possibly be, they could possibly, possibly be happier than that. They were as happy as they could be. Their marriage was perfect. Uh, the relationships were great. They had a great relationship with God. They prayed. They met with God. They walked with God. Everything was excellent. Um, they were utterly and completely content. All their needs were met. They, they didn't need to buy anything. Everything they needed was there for their satisfaction. Fast forward into the New Testament, and Jesus promises a rich and satisfying life. What does he give us? He gives us new life. He gives us abundant life. He gives us eternal life. And then finally, the thing that Jesus points out to us is that we are partners with him. We're partners in advancing God's kingdom. We have a purpose in life. That's what you and I were created for. We're created to be used by God and to partner with God in furthering his work around the world. So let me just take a few moments to, to just talk further about what stewardship really is. And last week we gave a simple definition of a steward. A steward is somebody who manages or looks after another's property. Let me just remind everybody of something. None of us owns anything. You and I, when we came into this earth, we come in with nothing, and uh, when we leave this earth, we leave with nothing. We are just managers. God entrusts to us certain things, certain abilities, certain time, treasure, and talent, and then God expects us to use it for his glory and for his honor. I've done many weddings over the years. I've done many funerals over the years. At weddings, young people, they get all kinds of gifts. They get all kinds of money. But the day comes when finally one or both of them dies, and 
I'm going to tell you, nobody goes to the grave with their wedding gifts or with their money. You, you have nothing. So you quickly understand that this idea of ownership is, is really, uh, it's, it's, it's more of a, of, of a fallacy, really. It's, it's not real. You and I have been entrusted with certain things, and it's our job to be good stewards of them. So last week, we talked about being stewards. Every Christian is a steward. And we also said that we are called to sow generously. Now, again, before I go further, I need to remind you of something. When we talk about sowing generously, we're not just talking about sowing money generously. And you need to look at Luke chapter 6 just to be reminded of what it is that God expects us to sow. First of all, he expects us to sow kindness. Kindness to people who both like us and who hate us. Jesus does not tell us to, uh, to single out the people who are deserving of our love and kindness. He says, be loving and kind to everybody, even our enemies, even the people who hate us. In fact, he says, pray for them, give to them, help them, but make sure that they know how much you love them and care for them. Uh, Jesus tells us that we need to give to the poor. Uh, we need to sow seeds of forgiveness, even to those who we feel are not deserving of forgiveness. We are not to judge, so sowing seeds of not judging so that we will not be judged. You reap what you sow. And one of the things that we talk about here all the time is, is, is giving to advance the kingdom of God, both in Burundi, which is the country that, is, that we've adopted, and right here across church. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 9, 6-7. Uh, he says, Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful givers. So then, stewards, that is managers, uh, sow financial seeds and the things that are important to God, but stewards don't just sow financially. We're not just sowing money. We are, in fact, sowing seeds of generosity in the area of the three T's. Does everybody remember what the three T's are? Time, treasure, and talent. God wants us to sow generously in our time. And I was pointing out in the first service that we've got somebody who's been coming to the church uh, every week, uh, every day almost, and he's been doing all, all the painting. Now, this guy is using his time and his talent in order to, uh, to make the place look good. And boy, do we ever appreciate that. So we are managers of our money, but we're also managers of the time and the talents that God has given to us. Now, under normal circumstances, all things being equal, if we waste what we have, or if we fail to be good managers of what God has entrusted to us, then we will find ourselves poor, uh, empty, and maybe even bankrupt. Now, the reason I say all things being equal is because sometimes there are extenuating circumstances that are outside of our control. I'm not addressing that this morning. What I am addressing, however, is what God has entrusted to you and what you are doing with it. Here's what Jesus says in Matthew 25, 29, and this may come as a shock to you. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what, they, what little they have will be taken away. Now, that's quite shocking because it doesn't sound 
like the Jesus that you may have heard about. Let me explain what Jesus is saying here. Jesus is saying that you can't be lazy. You can't uh, have an attitude of poverty. You can't be unwilling to work or unwilling to tithe or unwilling to share with those in need. You can't be unwilling to manage your money properly. You can't be unwilling to invest. Now, there's a popular political uh, philosophy that says that you know, the government should be able to give us whatever we want and meet all our needs, and, and we shouldn't have to work too hard. It's sometimes called communism. And I'm going to tell you, the idea of communism only works if everybody in the system is a Christian with a pure heart who's never greedy and never does wrong. But we know that communism doesn't work. And the reason it doesn't work is because the people in the system are sinners who tend to be greedy and selfish. And the fact of the matter is, is that all of us tend to be greedy and selfish. I, I, didn't, I don't mean to insult anybody here today, but it's just a sad fact of who we are. So Jesus is saying this. If you are faithful, hardworking, if you save, if you tithe, if you give, if you sow generously, you are going to reap generously, and you will experience what we call a level of prosperity. This is completely in keeping with what Jesus says in John chapter 10, verse 10. Jesus says, I've come that you might have life and have it rich and abundantly. If you fail to be a good manager, Jesus is saying, if you fail to manage well what God's entrusted to you, then you are going to have nothing. This is what Jesus is saying here. There was a girl that was interviewed by a journalist uh, on, on TV. This, this was during the uh, American election. And of course, you know that it's, it was, it's liberals versus the conservatives. But this girl, great fan of Bernie Sanders, who is very much uh, a socialist. And uh, here's what she's saying. She's saying all education should be free. There should be no university fees. It should be free. Uh, and I think that would be a great thing. There should be no charge for health care. And then she went and listed a whole list of things that should be free to everybody. Now, I'm going to tell you, in, in, in the, under the right conditions, I would 100% agree with that. The problem is, is that, and, and this is what the journalist said. He said, who's going to pay for all this? And the girl said, well, the government will. And the man said, the, the journalist said to the girl, so you think that the government can afford to pay all this? She said, absolutely. And then he asked her the question, do you know how much money the government owes? And then her face just went white. She had no answer. She didn't know what to say. And that really is the issue, isn't it? Who's going to pay for all this? How is it going to be paid? We're living in a world now that, that believes that somebody else is going to pay our way. Somebody else is going to do the hard work. Somebody else is going to pay the bill. That's, that's not what Jesus is saying here. Do you know that the American debt right now is $19 trillion? I mean, nobody here can get their brain around that even. That is such a massive amount of money. Canadians owe a lot of money too. We are a tenth of the size of the USA, and our debt is almost a tenth of the size of the US debt. So really, we're kind of in the same boat. We're in the same place financially as the Americans are. Our debt stands at $1.3 trillion. I just checked that out this morning. 
If you figure that out, folks, that means every single Canadian is, uh, is owing $17,000, every single one of us. That means every baby born, every child, every man, every woman, every single one of us owes $17,000, and the debt is growing by the hour at a rate of $2.5 million per hour. When we are finished today, our debt will have increased by $2.5 million. We recognize that we've got a major, major management problem in Canada, United States, and actually around the world, but we really have got a big problem here. And the thing that you need to understand about Christianity is that Christianity is really all about being a wise manager, a wise steward of what God has entrusted to us. When you go back to the Garden of Eden, what does God do with Adam and Eve? Eve, he gives them responsibility. He gives them a job to do. Their job is to be stewards of what God has created. So folks, listen to this. Um, our problem is that we have stopped being wise and good stewards, and we have allowed greed and selfishness to take over. The Canadian government right now is extremely concerned about the amount of debt that each person has, each home, each household has. And the concern, of course, is that people will default on their debt. They will not pay it back. You understand how, how close we are to catastrophe. We are considered the, among the richest nations in the earth, but that can all change in a moment. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given, and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, those who do not manage what God's entrusted to them, those who refuse to sow generously, even what little they have will be taken away from them. Now remember this, folks. To whom much is given, much is required. This is the standard that we live by as Christians. And this is why at Cross Church, we teach you to use your time, your treasure, and your talent for the glory of God. This is what the seven habits are all about. It's to, it's to learn these disciplines that best reflect what Jesus is saying here. To use well what God's entrusted. What, is a, what does it mean to be a good manager then? We understand that that's what it means to be a Christian, to be a good manager. How do we do that? What do we need to do to personally be good managers? Well, I'm gonna tell you just in a nutshell how to manage your money because money management is really not difficult in theory. Essentially, what you're doing is you are giving God the first 10% of your income and then what you do is you save 10%. You're putting away 10%. You're, and then what you do is you live on the rest. You saw that in the video clip. It's really simple. 10% to God, 10% to yourself, and then you live on the rest. So let's talk about that for a moment. Let's talk about saving money. Because I, I'll tell you, there was a time, I think of my grandparents, man, they were, little money they had, they were very careful to save it and put it aside. Because in their day, there was no social safety net. There was, if you didn't have money, then you're in big trouble. And so, what they would do is save. Now, some people went to an extreme and they became paranoid about not having money and they became what we call stingy. They refused to, they refused to share money because they have to hoard it and keep it and hoard it. So just in case there is a disaster looming. I'm not talking about, about hoarding. 
What I'm talking is just about being a wise steward, saving 10% of your income. Here's what the, what the Proverbs tell us. Proverbs 21.20 says, The wise have wealth and luxury, but fools spend whatever they get. This is the generation that we're living in now. As soon as, they got mo- as, soon as money comes in, we've got to go spend it. Gotta, oh, I've got, I got extra money. I've got what we call disposable income. I need to go and spend it on something. I need to buy a nice new purse, new shoes, new jeans, new, new clothes, whatever. I've got to spend it. And Proverbs says that that kind of a person is a fool. But the person who saves their money are wise people. They have wealth and they have luxury in their home. And then it says in Proverbs 13, 11, wealth comes from get-rich-quick schemes. And he says that, that quickly disappears. That won't last. But wealth from hard work, well, that grows over time. Clearly, the writer of Proverbs is telling us that saving is absolutely what it means to be responsible. So I don't know about you, but sometimes if I'm up late and, and, and watching CNN, I'll flip through the channels, and there's always some uh, get-rich-quick scheme that promises astronomical wealth. And it's, uh, on the internet, it's everywhere. Uh, you can get rich if you, if you sign up for this newsletter, and if you send X number of dollars, we're going to give you the, the secrets to getting rich and getting rich quick. And the writer of Proverbs says it doesn't exist. It do, there's no such thing as that. What you've got to do is you've got to begin to save your money, and your wealth will begin to grow over time. It's called being responsible. Some, uh, some researchers were doing some studies on just what is the financial position or situation of most Americans. And they surveyed uh, a, a great number, and here's what they discovered. They discovered that 40% of people said they could not pay for a $400 emergency expense. In other words, they couldn't come up with 400 bucks if an emergency arose. 47% of people. I was shocked when I read that. And they went on to say this, 55% of households didn't have enough liquid savings to replace a month's worth of lost income. Again, absolutely shocking. And by the way, if you take Taryn Ramsey's course, uh, in which we hope to have sooner than later, she'll tell you that you need to put aside uh, X number of months of salary and you shouldn't be spending your money on anything extra until you've got that money put in your bank account. It's called being responsible. A similar study asked individuals whether they could come up with $2,000 within a 30-day period for an unanticipated expense, and here's what they found. They found that slightly more than one quarter could not do it. 25% of the people could not come up with $2,000 in the course of 30 days. And another 19% could do so only if they pawned possessions or took out payday loans. You know what payday loans are, right? Those are loans where you pay 30% or, or more. The conclusion is this. Nearly half of American adults are financially fragile and living very close to the financial edge. And by the way, can I just say this, folks? If you are heavily in debt and you don't have that kind of, of disposable income, it means that you probably are also not inclined to give because you are living on the edge of a disaster, which means you can't do what God has called you to do as a steward. It means you can't give. You can't sow generously. You cannot give seed that advances the kingdom of God. Saving money, as I pointed out, is not a hedge 
against future disaster. Sometimes disasters happen, and I'm going to tell you that this is where God comes in. He, God protects you. God helps you. He gets you through these difficult times. What we're talking about is simply being responsible, saving 10%, giving 10%, and living on the rest. We save so as not to be a burden to anybody. Now, that's savings. And I talk about savings first, not because it's most important. I believe it's the second most important. But the first and most important thing that you're going to do with your money is what we call tithing or giving 10% to the Lord's work. Here's what the Bible says. The Bible says a tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. That word holy means it's set apart for God's purposes. When we talk about something being holy, it means it's for God's use. You and I as Christians are holy. That's because you and I are set apart for God's use, for God's purposes. Tithing was set up in the Old Testament as a way of funding the worship of God. It made it possible to feed the temple staff. Some of you may remember your Old Testament history, and you know that when, uh, when Israel left the promised land, they, or left Egypt to go to the promised land, there were 12 tribes, um, and one of the tribes was split into two. That was Joseph's, Joseph's family, his tribe. And here's what happens. Joseph's two boys, plus the rest of the uh, brothers makes up actually 13 tribes. But one of those tribes is actually called the, the Levites, the Levite tribe. And God says to the, to the Levites, there's a special inheritance for you, and for the other 12 tribes, there's an inheritance for you. For the 12, they get an allotment of land. And for the Levites, their allotment, their inheritance is God himself. So everybody else gets land, but the Levites, they get God. That's, that was the inheritance. So the question is this. We, we know how the 12, the other 12 tribes are going to feed themselves. Uh, it's an agrarian culture, society. They're going to plant grain. They're going to have fruit trees. Um, uh, they're going to get their living from the ground. But what are the Levites going to do? Because they don't get an inheritance. Here's where the tithe comes in. So when you and I, when, when in, in, in Bible times, when, when, when God's people were giving their tithes, it was actually making it possible that for, the, for the Levites to have a living. It funded their, their work at the temple. All the Levites worked at the temple. They made the sacrifices. They facilitated worship. That's what the tithe went to. It made it possible for the Levites to have food in their bellies, for them to support their family, it facilitated the work of God. Now, there's some people who are under the impression or have this notion that tithing is an Old Testament principle and it doesn't apply to the New Testament or that somehow Jesus canceled it out in the New Testament. Well, I'd like to disabuse you of that notion this morning. And I'm going to begin by saying this, that God gave us the command to tithe for our benefit. And it teaches us, number one, to depend on him and to recognize that God is our sole source and provider. So when you give that 10% to God, 
you're trusting that God's going to meet your needs. It's, it's a, 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 a very real and uh, tangible way of, of expressing our faith in God. But there's a second reason God wants you to tithe, and it's because God wants you to participate in making possible the worship of God. That's why the people were called to give. These people were not observers, they were participants, participants in the worship of God. When they were giving their 10%, they were worshiping God with their gifts and making it possible for God's will to be done. And that was for the worship of Almighty God. So then it's no surprise that when we get to the book of Malachi and the prophet Malachi says to the people of Israel who had stopped tithing, he says, you're robbing God. You are no longer participants. You have stepped back, you're holding back. You want all the benefits of the sacrificial systems. And remember, the sacrificial system is all about removing our sins. Malachi is saying, you want all these benefits, but yet you don't want to support it. You don't want to pay for it. And in this way, you're robbing God. And then Malachi, who doesn't just chastise the people, he says, look it, try it. Try tithing and see whether or not God won't open the floodgates of heaven and pour out more blessing on you than you can hold. That's actually what it says in Malachi chapter 3. Now, we fast forward then to the New Testament, and we recognize that, first of all, there's nothing in the New Testament that says, from this day forward, thou shalt not tithe ever again. Tithing continues to be a way to facilitate the worship of God. Here's what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9.14. He says, The Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. Did you hear that? The Lord commands this. In other words, what was done in the Old Testament continues to be done in the New Testament. So when you give your tithes and offerings, my friends, what happens is that you actually make it possible for me to make a living so that I can concentrate on doing this work of being your pastor. And it makes it possible for us to have other staff that make it possible to help you and to lead you in worship and in growing in Christ. But it's not just the Apostle Paul that confirms the importance of tithing. And this may come as a real shock for some of you. Jesus himself says it in Matthew 23, verse 23. The problem with most of us is that we don't read the whole passage of Scripture. We don't read the whole verse. Now, Jesus is rebuking the Pharisees, who were the religious people of the time. He's rebuking them for being very religious, being very faithful in their tithing, but neglecting the more important things like taking care of the poor. Listen to what Jesus says. He says, what sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees? Hypocrites, Jesus says, for you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore the more important aspects of the law, which is justice, mercy, and faith. And then Jesus says this, you should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. I wanted to say this to you today. There's some people think, all I have to do is come to church, give my tithe, I've done my duty to God. And Jesus is saying, no, that's not good enough. You need to be sure that you are serving God with your whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. And, Jesus says, 
you should tithe. You should tithe, yes, but do not neglect the more important things. Your tithe makes it possible for us to do the great work that we do in Burundi. One of the things we say at, at every uh, banquet for Burundi is we say, 100% of what you give goes to Burundi. The only way that that can happen, my friends, is because of your tithes. You pay to make it possible for us to have a staff that does all of the administration, all the work to send this money off to Burundi. That's what you, that's what, this, this is what it means to be a steward or a manager. You're saving 10% and you're giving 10% to the work of God and then living on the rest. Here's what the Apostle Paul tells us. He says, you know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty he could make you rich. We said last week that Jesus didn't die on the cross just so that you could have a full wallet and drive a Mercedes Benz and, and have lots of bling that you could have a, a credit card and go shop and get whatever you want and live the high life. That's not why Jesus died on the cross. Jesus died on the cross, my friends, so that you could experience what Adam and Eve experienced in the Garden of Eden. Garden, in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve experienced great, great fulfillment, great satisfaction in doing the will of God. And in doing the will of God, God has promised them that they would find that all their needs are met. My friends, that's what real biblical prosperity is. All your needs are met, totally satisfied. You've got a purpose in life. You don't have to worry about where your next dollar is going to come from because God's going to provide that and meet that need. But what you have to do is you've got to be the steward, the manager that he's called you to be. And it's as simple as putting away 10% of your income in savings and putting 10% in the work of God for the glory of God. Would you stand with me, please? Father, we want to say thank you for your goodness to us. We want to say thank you, Jesus, that you have promised to meet our every need. And more than meet our every need, God, uh, you, you want to bring satisfaction and joy to our hearts. God, we pray right now that our hearts would be full of joy and thanksgiving at what you've provided for us and the way that you've met our needs. We pray, God, that even as you provide for us, that we would indeed be good stewards, good managers. And here today, God, so many of us have got time, we've got treasure, we've got talent, and you want us to manage it properly. So by your Spirit, and by your grace, we pray for your help and strength. And we pray that in Jesus' name. And everyone said it with me? Tell the person beside you, go be a great steward.